0: TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast.
1: Tessa and I are in the booth, which is also known as Jude's former bedroom that he has been removed from. Now he's in a bunk bed with his brother down the hall.
0: Still calls his room, even though that's, it's not really. It's
1: true. And about twice a week, he's like, when can I have my room back? (laughs) It's like when COVID's over, you know, maybe, maybe, but maybe it doesn't matter but we're sitting here in the booth both drinking revel roasters coffee in our trp mugs so yes. this is a themed out show you can't see it but just just trust that it's it's happening right in front of your ears tessa episode two yep. we've made it we have we have arrived
0: is this what arriving feels
1: like? Uh, maybe. Ninety minutes of earbud goodness is what mm-hmm. we provided the masses last mm-hmm. week. This'll be like, you know, a marathon time where you want to cut off lots of minutes. So we're not shooting for ninety this week. We're gonna we're gonna cut it down.
0: We might shoot for sixty and get eighty.
1: You never know, really. Well, really you
0: really don't. We've got but lots to say.
1: I've never known when I'm preaching how long it will be, and I have never known here in Jude's bedroom how long these podcasts will be. So, week two, we are still hanging out in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we read this passage, which I think I'll go ahead and read to you in its entirety, and then we'll circle back and go through, you know, line by line or. Point by point I guess whenever I hear line by line or verse by verse, I just sort of trance out into some white guy in a suit preaching really boring sermons. you know what I mean mm, yeah. So I don't know if that's a, a triggering but phrase you for don't people wear suits,
0: so you're good. I have
1: some suits but, but I have not been known to wear Sundays not not to wear a suit no all right this is Mark chapter 10. I'll be reading from the common English Bible. The Common English Bible is a newer translation, I think it was 2011, and it is attempting to be an ecumenical translation that would rival the New Revised Standard Version. I don't know if people know this, Tessa, but Bible translations are a thing.
0: Say more about that.
1: I saw an article just yesterday on the Book of Faces that was a response written about the English Standard Version of the Bible, and the the accusation in this article, which I tend to agree with, is that complementarians were motivated by their theology in their translation efforts. So complementarians are a certain brand of Bible reader who sees gender as complementing one another they only believe that men are able to lead and preach and women are not able to do that based on their interpretation of the bible and the thought was that theology was motivating how they were translating the bible
0: interesting
1: and sometimes this comes up in a sermon where i will make note of a translation that is clearly an interpretation of the text that may or may not be accurate. So we've we've kind of got this idea that when we read the bible we're reading quote unquote god's word. True? True? I'm I'm on board with that, but at the same time it's a bunch of scholars in a room making decisions on an ancient text that is sometimes very difficult to make decisions on you know so I, so i'm reading the the common english bible it's this ecumenical text trying to place itself alongside of the new revised standard version of the bible those two are the texts read by, you know, your folks in Princeton and Yale and University of Chicago and UCLA and, and all places like that. Most of them, I should say, would be reading the New Revised Standard Version. It's the most academic, let's say. It's the most ecumenical, meaning they've got a whole wide variety of theological positions on their translation committees. And the Common English Bible is trying to break into that conversation. I would say they're not really doing that, but they're trying to break into it. And sometimes I like to read it just because it's different. We usually uh, read from the NRSV, but this week I went with the CEB.
0: Is it a little more casual than some of the language that other translations use?
1: The Common English? Yeah. 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 I, I find it a little bit difficult to read, actually. So they say that, you know, the New International Version, the NIV, is written at a 5th or 6th grade reading level. But anytime you've got words like righteousness, Mm -hmm. justification, propitiation, it's like, okay, what 5th grader knows what propitiation means? None. Zero. What adult knows what propitiation? What pastor knows what propitiation means? Very few. Yeah, very few. So all that to say, Bible translations are a thing. And when you involve humans in any sort of endeavor, their agendas, biases, 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 we don't know. We, I don't know. <laughs> it, we don't know.
0: Basically, they're bringing stuff to the table. They've got a lot of stuff you, you that can't they're bringing. Ignore- your bias when right you...
1: and so your theological bias shows up when you're translating some some text okay this is mark chapter 10 uh from verse 32 through 45 it says this jesus and his disciples were on the road going up to jerusalem with jesus in the lead the disciples were amazed while the others following behind were afraid Taking the 12 aside again, he, that is Jesus, told them what was about to happen to him. Look, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. The human one, I will break in and say, this is an oddity about the common English translation. That phrase, the human one, uh, is rendered in other translations as the son of man, which for... Bible readers would be sending off bells and whistles because this is a phrase from the Old Testament, specifically the book of Daniel, that has a lot of prophetic sort of expectation around. Looking at Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, the Son of Man was going to be a key figure. So Jesus sort of taking on this mantle may have said something. I will also interject, it's probably not as clear as we think it was in hindsight. Okay, so this is the weird Common English Bible's translation of this phrase, the Son of Man, from from Daniel. He says, The human one will be handed over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. After three days, he will rise up. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can. They answered. Jesus said, You will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive. But to sit at my right or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. Now, when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles, they show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around, but that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one, the son of man, didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. That last verse there is a really important passage in the discussion of atonement theories. It's usually rendered something to the effect of Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that has figured into a certain theory of the atonement called the ransom theory, where Jesus is paying a a price to someone holding humanity at ransom. There's questions about who is the recipient of that ransom payment. Is it God? Is it Satan? Um, I don't want to talk about that. I didn't want to talk about it on Sunday. I don't want to talk about it now because in order to untangle that wild web of what in the world does the cross mean and How does it mean and what does it do is not a simplistic conversation. In fact, the Bible itself has multiple metaphors that are used to describe what happens when Jesus dies. And all of these metaphors, Tessa, they are embedded in an ancient culture that we have very few points of contact with. And even like the ransom theory, I believe that this was something that was set within a context much later than the Bible, where the theologian who's trying to articulate this is impacted by their context, which is dissimilar from our context. So you've got all these different layers of history that are happening that are impacting how we understand the death and ultimately resurrection of Jesus. And bad pastor confession, it ain't easy (laughs) when you really get into it because you've got all these competing metaphors that are used to try to describe what has happened when Jesus dies. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Most people don't talk about the many different depictions of the death of jesus and and what they mean and how they mean we we get a simplified version of oh jesus died for your sins
0: right which you can accept at face value but if you go into like what that actually means that's almost impossible to really understand Well, yeah
1: because the, the the next logical question is why did he have to do that? Right. Especially when you look back to the Old Testament. We've, we've got this really wild view of the Old Testament that the only way that God ever forgave people in the Old Testament was if a blood sacrifice happened, which is just not true. Um, a good example would be Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is, let's say, supposedly a psalm that david wrote in response to his raping and impregnating bathsheba and his murder of her husband uriah it's a prayer of confession (laughs) It's it's heavy it's heavy stuff um i'll also go on record and say david did not write this psalm uh these they're long titles whenever it says this is when david was doing x y or z they're added much later and they're added by editors who are saying, "Hey, you should read this psalm through the lens of this story, right?" Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a hermeneutic or a, a, some lenses through which you read what follows. So this psalm is a psalm of confession. It's somebody saying, "I have sinned against the Lord and only the Lord." And so the editor said, "Oh, that maybe you know we can tie that in with David's sinfulness." Which rings a little bit hollow, right? Because dude raped somebody and killed somebody, and he's saying, "I've only sinned against the Lord." Right, haven't well, though. You know, I mean, you, you raped somebody and you right. murdered somebody, mm-hmm. so let's let's just give you know do penance where uh-huh. it is expected. You're not that good, David. No, David was a scoundrel. We'll we'll leave that for a different
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, episode of of the podcast. But in that in that prayer of confession there's no talk of i need to go make a blood sacrifice Uh in order for god to forgive me it's it's a request from someone who is penitent saying have mercy on me and throughout the old testament god chooses to have mercy on people Mm -hmm. so there's no like expectation of this sort of mechanism that allows forgiveness to take place has to happen that's not part of the deal God can do whatever God wants to do. But we have created this counter narrative where it's like, oh, God was bound by this demand for the blood of his son, which then begs the question, how is how is God bound to any of that? Right. You know? So we're not going to talk about that because it's a big tangly web of messiness Uh, that would take us way more than 90 minutes. We're not cutting any time off the marathon if if we get into that. And side note, we're not really cutting off any time of the marathon right now either because (laughs) we haven't started talking about it. It's fine. It's fine. This is Mark chapter 10. We'll go back. Let's circle back to the top and I'll throw in some anecdotes and some things that might be worth considering. Although the first thing isn't really worth considering but it's going to tie into our talk about the Bible translation. So in the common English, it says Jesus and his disciples were on the road. They were going up to Jerusalem. I made this point on Sunday that this sort of focus on a move towards Jerusalem is an important literary uh, frame for the author of Mark because Jesus is setting his sights on his upcoming death. In Luke, this is even more clear. It's like there's this there's this turn midway through the gospel where it's like everything points to to Jerusalem. Here, here in Mark, it's a bit more subtle. But Jesus and the disciples they're on the road. They're going to Jerusalem with the implication of they're they're going ultimately so that Jesus can die. Right. Um, one scholar talks about Mark as a passion narrative with an extended introduction meaning the whole story is about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And all the stuff that that is a precursor to that is introduction for that climactic moment in the story that, as I just mentioned, is really hard for us to explain and unpack theologically. So Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're pointing themselves towards Jerusalem, and it says Jesus is out in the lead. I was listening to a sermon that I did on this passage back in back from 2016, I think. Mm-hmm. And the example that I used there was uh, a family trip that we took to Bush Gardens. And whenever the James family went anywhere, my father would always be out in front, walking with purpose, mm-hmm. we'll say speed walking let's go we're going this way and he'd be like you know 30 yards ahead and mom would be back with the scraggler kids me and my sister mm-hmm. trying to stay in step and this is the image of jesus that i have here he's focused he's moving he's speed walking he's got the elbows swinging it's, and he's ready to go
0: it's funny you should say that because i immediately when you were talking about your dad my dad was my middle school band teacher and after school was over, he would be making copies or running errands around the school and he was a notoriously fast walker.
1: It's a dad thing.
0: And so I learned to walk also fast.
1: Okay. Then so. it's a Stultz thing. <laughs> yeah. I do I, think I, though I you, trained. You put a you put a guy with a mustache out front and some white new balances, they've got places they're, to they're be gonna, they're gonna they're go gonna do it. With purpose. Yes. So good on good on them. Mm-hmm. Jesus uh, not a dad, but out <laughs> in the lead, maybe in white New Balances. We maybe. don't know. Uh, but That's
0: an illustration the yeah, world needs.
1: I, that'd be good. Put him in some of those Seinfeld jeans, too, that mm-hmm. all the kids are wearing these days. Oh my God. I don't understand. Fashion is it's so like weird we've, right we've now. It's like we've moved past all of the silly stuff that we were forced to wear, because now there's cooler things, right. and everybody wants to go back. Norm core. What are I we doing?
0: Also, <laughs> I don't understand why we listen to the teenagers and they're. Fashion. I don't. I don't I mean like but like that seems to be what like yes. the teenagers are the cool ones.
1: In but their they own. They don't minds. actually
0: know anything that's going on.
1: No. They don't know Seinfeld. No. They don't know Norm Core. No. Uh Kate tried to get me a pair of joggers not too long ago and I was like, nope, can't do that. Joggers
0: are comfortable. I'll be
1: forty next month and I don't want to be why the guy can't you wear joggers. I don't want to be the guy with the flat brim hats and the cool vans, and like, hey guys, I'm 40, but I'm still trying really hard to be like I'm 20. Nope. I, you know what? I got a pair of New Balances, and they're comfortable. They meet my needs. My feet feel good in you're wearing, them. You're so wearing a
0: dad hat right now.
1: I got a dad hat on. It's a, it's a TRP Beer and Hims hat. Feel free to go it's to the a store, great check hat. that out. Go, yeah, go it's, get one. It's nice. Uh, it, but I think literally it is called a, a dad it hat.
0: It is, which, I mean,. Anybody can wear that hat. Yeah,
1: not true. My dad would never wear this hat for many, many reasons. But, well,
0: yeah, that's another topic. Yeah, okay. Topic. So Jesus
1: is out in the lead. He's He's got on his white New Balances, and he's he's leading the people to Jerusalem because he's got a single soul purpose in where he is heading. Also remember, uh, last week we talked about the the fracas in the temple where Jesus is overturning the frocus? tables. I think that's a word. Yeah, so he's overturning the tables – but this is almost like scholars would say Jesus is bringing on his death because he knows that when he makes this move in the temple, the religious leaders are going to freak out. And because they've been looking for reasons to kill him, it was almost like Jesus was signing his own death certificate by by doing this. Mm-hmm. So he's got this—in hes in the story, he's got this focus. He's got this awareness, as we'll see. And then it says, the disciples were amazed— while the others following behind were afraid." Now, here's what I was talking about earlier. In the Greek, there is no specification of the subject of who is amazed and who is afraid. So, some people would say that the image is three different groups three concentric circles not counting Jesus so Jesus is out in the front in his New Balance tennis shoes right. and then behind him are the twelve the disciples who are, who are in lockstep and then there's a group of people who are astonished followed by a people who are afraid
0: mm-hmm. that's an interesting way to view it it's weird that they think people would be grouped by emotion yeah
1: Yes. Now, also remember, Mark would not be attempting to depict a historical right. reality. He's more intent on demonstrating. There's different groups here. And also yes. remember, this is 35 or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the author's primary audience are people in the midst of persecution. This is pre. Roman destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. So so the author is trying to address different groups. So the fact that you might have the disciples and then some people who were astonished and then some people who were afraid, it could be more emblematic of, hey, reader, in 65 CE, what group do you find yourself in?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Now in our text, it says the disciples were the amazed ones. And that's a fine reading because the referent before this verb are the disciples, right? Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road. They're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is in the lead. And the only other group we know, the disciples, they were amazed. While there's this other group, the ones who are following they were afraid. So it, it seems better that there's just two groups here. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus out front, and then it's the disciples who also happen to be astonished at what is happening, and then there's some other people who are following behind who are afraid as to what's going on. So on Sunday, we talked a little bit about these, these emotions, um, specifically asking why would Jesus' disciples or why would any group be astonished or amazed mm-hmm. as to what is happening? Do you have thoughts on this?
0: Um. Yeah. So it could be Jesus saying, follow me, I'm going to die. Like, follow me to my death. Mm-hmm. Um, which, as we talked about, was not something they were ever expecting to happen. Like, to the savior of the world.
1: Right. And so, it would
0: lead them to think that they picked the wrong guy.
1: Yes. There's this expectation in uh, Judaism that a Messiah figure was not going to die. And if your Messiah figure did die, end of movement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You picked the wrong horse go back to the drawing board, which is why after the death of Jesus, we see all the disciples sort of huddled in this room trying to figure out what's going on because they still had not put it together that this was all part of the, the plan.
0: Right. Cause there was no precedent,
1: for no that. precedent, no built in expectation, no teaching. There was nobody other than Jesus saying, Hey, I, I got to tell you this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to look like. So there could be this astonishment in them that Jesus is so resolute on going to Jerusalem. And I even think it could be for a couple different reasons. One, yeah, because they they may have been thinking about this death resurrection thing, although the story doesn't really lead us to 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 land there. Because they keep botching it up. Mm-hmm. They keep misunderstanding, even when he says it so clearly. So they might have been amazed that this guy was so focused on going to inaugurate the kingdom to Mm -hmm. begin the reign and rule to initiate the end to bring in the age to come by defeating the oppressors so they you know they might have thought this is jesus's glory march Mm -hmm. his coronation he's heading into this place where he will be crowned king where he will uh, as james and john say later going into his glory Right. So there's this astonishment. There's this amazement. Now, the people that are afraid, they might be thinking differently about that. What are some potential reasons for for fear? We kind of already hit on these, I think.
0: I mean, they could be wondering if they're marching to their deaths also. Right.
1: Which they should be thinking about that because Jesus keeps saying, if you want to follow me, there's an an inbuilt expectation that that, demands you pick up your cross
0: mm-hmm.
1: and start marching to your own death. Right. I mentioned this on Sunday but like we Christians love crosses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have tattoos we have little earrings I'm specifically thinking of Barry Bonds he's, he's got that one little dangly cross that he used to wear. Yeah. Barry Bonds man what a, what a tragedy one of the best baseball players of the modern era you did not want to pitch to Barry Bonds. I would never. No, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't. That that dude got walked like 200 times in one season and still hit 70 homers. What? Yes. Like, so he, they how would How did
0: he get walked so much?
1: Nobody would pitch to him. I I, I don't know uh, how many of those were intentional, uh-huh. but he he also would not swing at a bad pitch. He had this like radar vision, which I guess is steroid induced, but you have this oh, radar geez. vision and if it was in the zone at all, he would just murder it. Anyway, wow. He would wear this little dangly, dangly cross earring back Maybe in that his was pre- the secret to his success. No, that was, I think that was like Samson. <laughs> no, this was pre. <laughs>
0: take his earring. Take his power. This
1: was pre-steroid <laughs> Barry Bonds, Pittsburgh Pirates, when he weighed like you know 185 pounds, and he was he was super fast. He would wear the dangly, so it's like when he was stealing second, it would dangle in the wind. Oh
0: wow, it's majestic.
1: Yes. Anyway, geez, that's a <laughs> that's a side rant, and I have anyway. No on Sunday, clue. you
0: were talking about how <laughs> yes, wearing you. crosses on Gosh, your earrings. I'm glad you remember. Is similar <laughs> to wearing the electric chair
1: on yes, your earrings. Yes, right. We've we've reduced uh, an implement of execution to a trinket, and this is not a bust on cross tattoos or cross uh, necklaces or mm-hmm. or what have you, because they are telling a story. Right. Uh, my kids love Dude Perfect, mm-hmm. and Ty always has on his cross necklace, mm-hmm. and the reason why he does is, I assume, I haven't heard him say this, but these guys are Christians, yeah. and I think he's wanting to take that platform of millions, hundreds of millions crazy of people watching videos where all they do is scream at each other. The entire time.
0: Oh, and trick shots.
1: Trick shots and and screaming. But as soon as you make a trick shot, it's screaming. So, like, Kate and I will be in the other room. and it's just So much much screaming. Anyway, he's wanting to make good on, uh, you know, that platform to reach hundreds of millions of kids Mm -hmm. that maybe would say, what's this about? Mm Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what we wouldn't say in response to that. We wouldn't say, oh, you see, the cross was a way that Romans executed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And when Jesus was walking around the earth, he was saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross because we are about to die. Mm -hmm. That's not usually where people will go. We've sort of reduced it and we've uh, romanticized it and we talk about our version of the atonement and the gospel and what all of that all of that means but yeah maybe there's this second group that's saying "Jeez, oh, geez man i don't want to die i don't want to i don't want to go into the temple and overthrow tables and set things on fire and you know then become the enemy of the state because mm-hmm. rome's pretty powerful and so are the religious leaders
0: i mean if i could throw over tables without any consequences i would do that but Some that's days. not how it works. No,
1: always a consequence. <laughs> yes. Unless no one is home and you just go, you know, and overthrow your kitchen table.
0: That's true. But that that is a consequence for myself because then I have to
1: clean it up. Yeah. yeah. It's just not.
0: I live by myself. Not what you <laughs> no want. No one's going to come and clean it up. You
1: know, Tessa, can we just pause and give a shout out to our listeners right now? Uh, if you can follow along with what we're saying, kudos to 10 you. 10
0: out of 10. Kudos You're great. to you.
1: Because in the last five minutes we've worked in pre-steroid Barry Bonds, Mm -hmm. dude perfect, Mm -hmm. electric chairs, and all sorts of. We're
0: just relevant, is really what it is.
1: Yeah, me not wanting to wear joggers and Mm -hmm. flat brim hats.
0: Jesus and New Balance.
1: It's a lot. It's a lot. It's
0: a lot, but I think it's it's good.
1: Drop a comment below, uh, wherever (laughs) wherever
0: this lands. Wherever
1: this lands, and let us know: too much, not enough, you need more. We we might be. We can always add more. Might be able to help.
0: I can't promise we'll add less.
1: That's true. So, one of the things that we've been doing at TRP for the last, I don't know, a few months, two or three months, has been trying to be really intentional about creating space for contemplation in our services. So, what that looks like for us is digging your feet into the ground. Uh, letting any weight that you carry on your shoulders sort of just rolling off to unclenching your jaw, closing your eyes. We usually have a prompt, like a meditative prompt for you to consider something, think about something, and just sort of be quiet, which is not the MO of most churches. Correct. More smoke, more lights, more sounds. Right. I used to attend this church where and, and this wasn't the church's fault, but they had a they had a big band and it was it was loud. And there was a woman who sat in the back every week and just took both of her hands and put them on her ears and sat oh, no. with her hands over her ears during the worship set every week.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: To Did which the all... logical response is, what? Go somewhere is, else, oh. or what are you doing? Like, what like, is this? a Is this your protest? Like, I will not worship to anything over ninety decibels. <laughs> and this church also, they had a decibel meter in the back. Could you imagine? Just what? Just because of For this what? sort of, to make sure that they weren't, it wasn't oh. too loud or oh, wasn't too oh, whatever. Oh. I mean, because you know, you got to think about those sorts of things. Now, I'm comparing this to to our to our worship, which is last week was a piano She'd and probably be two voices in the, in the
0: front so she could hear
1: you know what I'm half tempted to say she'd still have her hands over her ears maybe maybe that's
0: just how she was maybe she had like sonic um, like bat hearing
1: maybe yeah it could be
0: maybe maybe she had like super senses that's different yeah I was gonna say echolocation but I think that's a totally different
1: uh, thing why are we talking about this I've lost it again
0: because we like to contemplate in our... Thank you. Gosh,
1: <laughs> I'm glad you're here. So we've been creating these you know, spaces for, for contemplation, and the, the, the introduction into our time this past week was to consider our own emotions. And clearly, this has nothing to do with the text, right? But if you have Jesus in these concentric circles of disciples and people who are astonished, whether it's the same group or not, and then also some people who are afraid, I was trying to get people to think about where they land right now with regard to, to Jesus, their commitment or lack thereof, and the emotional output that they bring to that. So like, are we afraid? Are we astonished or amazed? Are we committed uh, and, and following? Tessa, what, what was your what was your takeaway there from that moment?
0: Um, some of the responses that stuck with me were it's hard work to follow Jesus um, and sometimes can probably feel draining um, some of us are in places where we don't know how to define our faith um, we are not sure where we're going or yeah. or what's happening or even what it means to to follow jesus
1: i am a pastor Mm -hmm. of almost nine years i have a phd Mm -hmm. in bible yes and i'm sitting across the table saying yeah i don't know what to do at the cross (laughs) i can't understand i can't i can't unpack that Mm -hmm. in a way that really makes sense to to most people maybe
0: is the thing like maybe we're not supposed to land somewhere with it
1: that's what i mean though when you when you get there most of the background and experience that people have is so dissimilar it's like you have to have clarity you have to have answers you have to have certainty mm-hmm. or else maybe even you're in danger of going to hell right so there's not a whole lot of freedom for people to contemplate and be honest and say, I don't know what what I'm doing. Yeah. And then to be okay with that. I feel like
0: I landed, no, not landed, but I feel like middle school me felt certain about a lot of things. But I don't think that that's a, first of all, it was in middle school. So you only know so much. But I don't think that's a sustainable or even reasonable place to expect yourself to be forever like
1: no if if you think you have it all figured out and there's certainty there you're you're in a you're in a weird bad spot Uh uh-huh read the newspaper look out the door go into public there are situations where it's like i have no idea Mm -hmm. how to think about this Mm -hmm. one of the most eye-opening experiences for me was in Grad school. I mean, I was I was pretty old, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. <laughs> um, and I read something in the student newspaper. It was it was like a testimony about this couple that was pregnant with twins, and something was wrong. And the advice from the doctors was to terminate one of the lives. To protect the life of the other child and the mom, mm-hmm. and for some reason that one hit different than situations that I have heard in in the past, where you know you kind of walk into these discussions like, oh, it's clear, it's black and white. So mm-hmm. you know, you 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 pray, you do this, you hope you. And I just remember thinking, I can't imagine these people, Christian people, making any decision. Either decision and God being like, ah, you picked the wrong door.
0: Right.
1: You know, I just can't, I can't envision that. I certainly don't think that's how God operates. And I don't think that's how the world works where you're always left with a clear right no. or wrong. Very rarely choice.
0: do you have, I mean, very rarely. I feel, I think that's Do you fair. have a right or wrong? Yeah. What, yes co- what no. college
1: am I going to go to? Who right. cares? Right christians freak out about this well, i don't know oh, what, which, I know I which one is, does Still the lord do want me to go <laughs> does the lord want me to go to this christian college or right. that christian college right. the lord doesn't care in in you know in the way of like the lord will be at both of those places right and will meet you there in both of those circumstances mm-hmm. i don't know i just i maybe i want to go to a secular university <laughs> God all, forbid that, you go to that, a secular, secular. university. <laughs> that that word is so funny. Sec- Do you listen to secular music or go to a secular school? <laughs> it sounds so like, intense here- what you say. Right, I know. But like, I'm I'm flashing back to uh, that video. Shoot, Christians say. Uh huh. I forget those two guys, but yeah. they have this whole they have this whole yes. bit about is she secular, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll post that video in the in the show notes. But yeah. you know, like God, if if God is omnipresent,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if the Holy Spirit resides in you, Yep. why do we think that God would care if you take this job or that job? God seems to be entrusting you like you got a brain, you've got people, you've got a community. Make a good decision.
0: Right. Do the best with what you have. Yeah.
1: Do the rightest thing.
0: Do the next right thing.
1: Yeah, which I think was an episode title of uh, Ted Lasso. Season two, shout out. Excellent.
0: Oh, I still need to watch. Excellent. Too, keep forgetting.
1: Oh, it's very good. Um, but so that that's sort of what we were doing, and I would encourage listeners to try to identify some of your emotions and where you are. And here, here, Tessa and I say this: You're you're okay. Yeah. What wh- wherever that wherever you have landed for today, mm-hmm. it's not the end of your story. First of all, and second of all, you're good. Like God's merciful and gracious. And I think God's pretty aware that this is all freaking hard. And the ask, even just the very the very focused Christian ask of trusting homeless Jewish rabbi who is also son of God, whose death has something to do with our sins mm-hmm. in some capacity, did something who, to overturn evil and death.
0: Who also lived on the earth. Thousands of years yep,
1: ago, uh, quite a bit of time ago, uh-huh. as as a very as a very first century homeless Jewish rabbi, mm-hmm. right? He's embedded in a world that is not ours, and the ask is to follow him as a 21st century American. We should also add he he rose from the dead. That's a huge Great. part. When you talk that about the death of, of Jesus, you cannot uh, divorce it from the resurrection of Jesus, and also the ascension of Jesus. If you want to get technical, but all of those like Jesus ascending. What does that mean? You know like the ass
0: rose up into the clouds. He just floated away. He just away, floated. And and people like, were looking at him. Like the um the um Find The it. Wizard of Oz. The fairy What is she? A fairy godmother? She comes a down witch? in a bubble. The good witch.
1: Oh, she yeah. comes down in a bubble. Glenda.
0: Yes. He went up in a bubble. <laughs> like Glenda the Good Witch.
1: Oh, we are going to get some <laughs> terrible reviews no, for this.
0: No. The people love the Wizard of
1: Oz. Um true. some people are afraid of the monkeys, the flying monkeys. That's a very terrifying she childhood also, experience. Never mind. I'm it doesn't matter. Yeah. Here. It's too it's too it's not important. It's too much. But yeah, like it the ask is big and I just think there's a lot of grace that's built in there. Even with that that expectation and, and this was a good pushback that we had in service, like with people saying it's really hard to follow Jesus and the pushback being should it be like what what does that look like are we to go searching for all of the places of oppression in the world and trying to alleviate that oppression in the name of Jesus like should what when we say pick up our cross what does that look like for us it's a tough one Mm -hmm. Because I would be inclined to say wherever you are in whatever situation you find yourself to live in a way that's faithful to the call of being the embodiment of Jesus here and now.
0: I think sometimes it's more in front of our faces than we think.
1: The opportunities are more in front of our Mm -hmm. faces. We are drawn to massive issues, which Mm -hmm. I believe— some people need to be involved in that, and oh, maybe definitely. it's maybe it's us, to the degree in which we are able. But, you know, like when the um, the Syrian refugee crisis was happening, the natural the natural response is, I can't do anything about that. Right. I mean, I, I live here in Salisbury, Maryland. I'm not an ambassador. I can't open up the borders. I can't fly over there and take some refugees back. When I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we equate that with picking up our cross and following Jesus. And we miss out on the people right in front of us, wherever we are, Mm -hmm. that need hope. All that to say, some self-assessment would be good and helpful, I think. And wherever you land, you're okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: God has got you. Uh, even if that's something that might make you uncomfortable, I, I can believe that on your behalf. I guess um, without forcing it upon you, but just you're all right. It's okay. And the story has not been written, and um, we are we haven't reached the the full culmination of the things that we know and the things that we believe. So just keep at it. Um, so we've got these different groups of people that are thinking and feeling different things, and then Jesus takes the 12 aside, his his crew, who maybe are also the astonished ones. They don't seem to be the ones who are afraid, and that will be made clear as we go. He takes the disciples aside, and he tells them again what's about to happen to him. This is the third time he's done this in the book of Mark. It happens in Mark chapter 8, which is the whole get-behind-me-Satan text, uh, where Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, and Peter is indignant. It says that he scolds him and he begins to correct Jesus, uh, which actually which. There, there's some precedent for this. Like you can think Old Testament where uh, God says, I'm going to, this is after the Exodus, the Red Sea mm-hmm. crossing, and the people are grumbling and they're being really huge babies. And God tells Moses, go get your, your people because I'm about to kill them.
0: Mm-hmm. Moses is like, you can't do that.
1: Exactly. Like there's this there's this back and forth, like, oh, that will look really bad for you if you do that. What would Egypt think mm-hmm. if you just brought us out in this grand show? Like you've been doing all these party tricks and now we're out here and you just strike us all dead. It's almost
0: like Moses is in charge of God's PR or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this isn't
1: yeah, that's not what a bad. That's not a bad way to think. Like, hey, well, let's just uh, let's just back it back yeah. it down. I know yeah. you This you're is ticked. not a good strategy. I know God. you're ticked, but this is not gonna look good in the papers, <laughs> right? So let's let's come up with something different. Yeah. Here, so like Peter, while well, also you know,
0: trying to save his people, correct,
1: yeah. and himself. Right. So Peter, like scolding and correcting, there's some precedent there mm-hmm. uh, in the Old Testament. And that's not the only story where people are advocating uh, against God's plan, which is wild to think about and something that's not talked about in churches. But when he does this, Jesus gets pretty ticked as well. And it says he sternly corrects Peter. So Peter corrects Jesus and then Jesus is like, no no no, I correct you and then goes into the whole, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, let's think. Uh not red tights, tail, pitchfork, but let's think, get behind me, uh Somebody who's trying to throw off the plan, mm-hmm. adversary, um, you know, person at the, at the business meeting who just wants to do point counterpoint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, get behind me. I've got a plan. I'm moving towards it. You're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking human thoughts is what Jesus says. And the second time is after the, the transfiguration which we can talk about that at a different time. But Jesus again says, hey, the human one is going to be delivered into human hands and they're going to kill him. And then three days later, he's going to rise up. And the text says, they didn't understand this kind of talk. Again, because nobody was expecting their Messiah to die. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't part of the deal. So... It's no wonder that Jesus keeps saying this, and this this passage is um, the most clear. Uh, it's the it's the fullest passage. Like he he really gets into it. The the human one it's going to be handed over, turned over, and this is this is some Old Testament language. So we have the Old Testament ties to Daniel with the Son of Man, and then this whole idea of being handed over or turned over. He's gonna he's bringing in some Isaiah fifty three suffering servant imagery there, which I'm also not going to get into because that passage is is really difficult. It says that he'll be handed over, turned over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They're going to condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. This inclusion here of Rome is unique in the predictions of of death. And then he goes on to say they're going to ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. This is also Isaiah um, 50, I believe. So he's bringing in some of uh, these later passages in the book of Isaiah to to sort of predict is the wrong word, but to, to let people know what's coming and what this will look like. And then he adds on that after three days, I'm, I'm going to rise from the dead. So they had no expectation that their Messiah was going to die. They also had no expectation that anybody was going to rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. That wasn't part of the deal. Right. The deal was... Everyone would rise at the same time. No one was thinking just one random person, even the Messiah, would be raised to life. And this is why Paul, in his letters, talks about Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, functioning as the first fruits of of a certainty that will take place later, namely the resurrection of, of others. So Jesus sets the tone. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom Mm -hmm. Jesus brings in the age to come and we live in sort of this hybrid present evil age age to come because Jesus has been raised from the dead and we're still waiting for everyone else to be raised from the dead Mm -hmm. the disciples this was not on their brains at the time and it's so clear because of where the story goes But just real quick, I think we can summarize this first part of the passage with Jesus saying again, Hey, friends, this is not going where you think it's going to go. Jesus keeps saying this is a counterintuitive move that you're not anticipating, even though I keep telling you but just be prepared because it's going to look so radically different than what you have in your brains.
0: I keep thinking about that quote that you've used before from Princess Bride. Um, As
1: you wish. (laughs) What? A different one?
0: Isn't it from the Princess Bride where he goes, um, in this case it would be Messiah. I don't think that means Mm -hmm. what you think it means.
1: You keep using this word. Yes. I don't think it means what you think it means. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, Very fair. Because they were anticipating a political leader who would squash the oppressors and allow God's people to experience freedom. So much so that in the very next verse, James and John, Zebedee's kids, you know Zebedee. Yeah, my I mean, good friend Zebedee. Yeah. They come to Jesus and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's bold.
0: Who asks that of <laughs> Jesus? Know. Of of anyone, of, really. True, yeah. Unless you're just like Not in some me. extortion
1: Plots, it's you not know? me. I we've didn't got, do that. We've got the evidence, and we're gonna need you to do whatever yeah, we ask. Yeah, we're gonna
0: blackmail you. Yeah. So that you do what we say.
1: Yeah. It's that's.
0: It's not even that they didn't have anything. Nothing. It's not. It's, they weren't blackmailing Jesus. No.
1: No dirt. No, no dirt on Jesus. They had,
0: no. Who has dirt on Jesus?
1: I don't know. I don't know.
0: Probably nobody.
1: Um, it's weird because this is the only time in any of the four gospels that James and John show up without. Peter Peter, James and John are Jesus's triumvirate, like his his closest crew, his best friends, the people that he has entrusted everything to. And these two brothers in this bold move are like, "Hey, uh Peter, what um yeah, why don't you go get us some bread?" And we'll be here waiting, and as Peter's marching off, they say, Hey, Jesus, we want you to give us, screw Peter, us, anything that we ask from you. That's, one One commentator says this is them asking Jesus for a blank check. Mm-hmm. At some point, Jesus, <laughs> we're going to ask for a favor, and you're going to have to do that favor. That's Godfather.
0: There is a Disney Channel original movie. Called blank Check. I remember that. Yep. It was a good one. By that I mean it wasn't that good.
1: It's a, you know, classic Smart little... Smart House was better. Little Disney. Yep. Little Disney thing. Well, Cautious Jesus responds, What do you want me to do for you? I talk a lot about importing tone. I would love to be a fly on the wall here in what Mark is uh conjuring up. How are we supposed to hear this? Every you time know?
0: you give Jesus an adjective, you have, like, Cautious Jesus. Um Jokey Jesus. Jokey Jesus. I just want, like... A t-shirt with all of the different Jesuses on it.
1: That'd be great. Maybe his face in the middle. Cautious Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, this story gets so weird. They say, allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. They have no concept that when New Balance, sneaker wearing Jesus is heading resolutely to Jerusalem that he's going there to die. He just told them that and now they're talking about places of honor and image and status because jesus is going to get glory they still think this is a coronation ceremony uh-huh. he keeps saying i'm going to be murdered and they keep not hearing him could
0: they be? this is probably not how it's read but could they be asking him out of panic like Oh my gosh, he's gonna die! What can we do now? To, I don't know, like
1: no, this I wasn't the plan. I, no, I don't, I don't think so <laughs> because because everybody else is so ticked, right? A- and the response that Jesus gives assumes, and this is wild, he assumes that someone will be on his right hand and his left hand. He says, "To sit at my right or left isn't mine to give; it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared." What are you talking about, Jesus? Who are these people? So he's like, ah, you're, you're, you're right to assume that someone will be there. Mm-hmm. It won't be you. Probably. It's not my decision to make. It's been prepared for somebody else. Wild.
0: Maybe he's just, my mom always used to say that if I was uncomfortable somewhere and I wanted to leave, I could just blame it on her. So maybe That's he's a nice just, mom move. I know. It's a good mom move. Maybe he was just like, God was like, Yeah, you can just blame it on me. I'm picking somebody. Goodness.
1: <laughs> I mean, God knows that we we do that. Yeah. You know, like I need to I need to break up with you. Um, ah, I really I do like you. Yeah. And you're pretty, but God told me to. It's
0: not what the Lord is calling <laughs> me to Stop at this it. Time. Stop <laughs> it.
1: If you are a teenager listening to this, really long podcast about Bible nerddom and you're thinking that you can break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend by by throwing God under the bus get out of here buck up buck up own it and say we're not right I'm not having fun you aren't funny I gotta go I hate the way you talk I don't like it when you eat apples that's so loud
0: just you chew with your mouth wide open don't do that don't do any of those any of those things
1: yeah be kind. Um, so they're asking that somebody can sit on the right and the left when you enter your glory. They're not getting it. They're extreme lack of awareness. They still want power, authority, status, image, prominence. They're no different than us, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's insane, but yet we hear Jesus say, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. And we still think, uh, but I mean... I could maybe try to get a lot of people to listen to me or I could uh-huh. you know, write, write books that are really influential uh-huh. or I could, you know, post that Facebook status that gets a lot of likes and you know, I could still do, we, we still are driven by those same things too, to certain degrees in a lot of situations. We want a claim. We want
0: uh-huh.
1: people to respond positively to us. So don't throw stones too quickly I do want to point out, though, this is such a terrible friend move, right, James, John? Yeah. Where's Peter? He's still off getting the bread. Uh Uh-huh. They have screwed him over. They have. He's gone, hey, we want to be on your right and left. I wish Jesus said, what about Peter?
0: Did they have <laughs> that a, a special great. bond? Like, why was it? The I'm not two sure. Of them?
1: I don't know what the deal is with the three of why them, especially because Peter, out. Peter had Peter a brother. Do? Like, where's Andrew? What What's he doing? Don't just probably nobody getting water. Nobody likes Andrew.
0: Maybe he's fishing for the guys. We don't
1: know. I, somehow, I ended up listening to a Dane Cook comedy bit the other about day. Peter. <laughs> no, it was about Friends, and it was basically saying every friend group. Has one person that nobody in the group likes? Mm. Maybe that's Andrew. Oh my gosh! What you a, know?
0: what a fear? That yeah, I'm the friend because in the he friend said
1: group. he said you know pretty stereotypically. If you're sitting there thinking that that's not true for your friend group, that means you're the friend. <laughs> like, okay, Dane, who did who'd you, who'd you steal this from? Right there's this all these rumors about Dane Cook stealing material.
0: Which I wouldn't put it past him. I, mean, I haven't
1: heard a special from him in quite some time. Mm. Um so there's a lot of things happening here james and john have cut peter out of the the circle and they're now approaching like friend, jesus yes. and th- this is weird because jesus then says you don't know what you're asking mm-hmm. can you drink the cup that i'm about to drink this is old testament metaphors like the cup of wrath.
0: what you think it means well
1: but wait and he says or receive the baptism that i receive this is also like this is uh not you know a a, a beautiful sort of baptism. These are all ominous terms. He's like, stuff's about to go down. Remember that bit five minutes ago when I was talking about how I'm going to die? Yeah, that, th- can you do that? And they say, yeah, we can. Which,
0: again, the cojones.
1: They don't, on these guys. they don't get it. But also, they do go on to die. Right. Horrific death deaths according to the traditions like the disciples get martyred in some extreme ways Mm -hmm. but this is where it's weird you don't know what you're asking can you do this yeah we can and then jesus says yeah yeah i guess so you you will drink the cup that i drink, and you will receive the baptism that i've convinced
0: him i don't know i don't get it
1: because it's this weird like you don't know what you're saying and then they're like we can do that and he's like yeah you will it's just a weird it's a weird turn But then he goes on to say, but this thing that you're asking. So it's almost like him saying, I'll see that. Uh You will actually (laughs) do the things that I'm doing. But this other thing that you want, power, status, image, uh, authority, prominence. I can't give that to you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Dad can, but I can't. Mm -hmm. And also those seats... They're already saved. Yeah, <laughs> reserved. Like it's just so strange, and they belong to those for whom it's been prepared.
0: VIP seats.
1: I mean, Jesus. Yeah, you're kind of right. You are gonna die. I've I've told you that. You know, you, you following me means picking up your cross and, and going that direction. And I guess you know you're kind of right. You can you can take this on. You're gonna you're gonna die horrific deaths. But eh, the thing about the status, yeah, you can't. I, don't, I can't give that to you. So, it did make me wonder, like, if we know anything about Jesus, envision the people who might occupy the seats on the right and the left. Like, what type of person would that be?
0: I have no idea.
1: Let me ask this. Would those people... When they show up, let's just play this metaphor out. This is not how this is going to happen. This is not meant to be taken literally. There, right. you know, no seats. That that's. But the people when they show up in this metaphorical scenario, and Jesus says, "Oh man, hey, 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 you're up here with me. I saved your seat. Yeah, right here." Do you think those people will be like, obviously, no? I mean, they're going to be like, "What are you talking about?" why am I up here? Mm-hmm. What has happened? Why am I in a seat of prominence? Right? Because all throughout the gospels is it's the like whole, this it's this First surprise. will be last. Yeah. Last
0: will be first. Then. I've just
1: been busy being last and mm-hmm. now I'm sitting in the front and that doesn't comport mm-hmm. because most people aren't being last so that it's not like, ah, I'm trying to earn all these points so maybe I because can sit on Jesus' left hand. Because if you do it that
0: way, that's not no. how things work.
1: Yeah. There seems to be some inbuilt uh, altruism. That is a necessity for actually being last. Mm-hmm. You don't be last to get cool things. Right. Which is why when people say like, oh, you're going to get those jewels in your crown. Stupid, first of all. I don't want to wear a yeah, crown. That's, it's just frankly. weird. Or your mansion's going to be real big because you went into this soup kitchen. Yeah. Uh, no, mm, no. Probably that, not, though. No, that's just not. That's not really how that how that works um so the the story progresses the other ten disciples including Peter, gosh and I wish that the author just brought him out a little bit more because I'd love to see that interchange you know but the other ten they hear about this and they're they're peeved mm-hmm. with James and John for their their boldness in the ask and this is when Jesus calls everybody over has a has a little team meeting you know team. Team meeting, everybody. Let's sit down. Let's have a huddle. Let's huddle up. And he says, you know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles, they show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around. So he's basically saying this status, this authority, this image, because all the people, they're ticked, not just because of the boldness of James and John, but because they want to sit there too. Right? They just didn't ask first. Mm -hmm. So they're upset that they weren't the ones who were asking for this, seemingly, um, but Jesus is gonna is gonna put this down again. This isn't what we do. In fact, this translation um, in verse forty three it says, "That's not the way it will be with you." I love that because Jesus once again is saying it's all counterintuitive. Authority, status, image, high-ranking officials—that's all garbage. That's not the way it'll be with you. And then he launches into this same sort of thing that he has said many times. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be slave of all. Like These are really um, powerful calls to people of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be servant. To be slave. I don't have the Greek in front of me, so I'm wondering how those words are different. I would assume that one is uh, diakonos and one is uh, doulos. I don't know if that's true though. But what's the
0: what's the significance? One would be more of like
1: um, someone who ministers to someone else. Um, I maybe think like Mm waitstaff versus someone who's enslaved. Mm. I think that would be a fair way of, of. Putting those, So it's, it's like a one line and then I'll see that and I'll raise you another. So mm-hmm. like you're not just bringing – you're not just running the food to the table. Mm-hmm. You are the one who is um, enslaved to allow this meal to ha- – it's on your back that this meal even takes place. So it's like this furthering of uh, – I don't know how to phrase this it's it's a it's a it's a worse status really it's how, a
0: how do you think the implications of slave are for us given our american history versus how they would have heard that back then
1: hold on i'm looking here at the text real quick it, it that's that's what it is so in in 43 it's uh, diakonos, and then in 44 it's doulos so these kind of differing terms and I think this is only the only time that Jesus uses the doulos term the servant term the slave term in at least in in Mark's gospel and I'm not sure if he uses it in in other gospels um, that would be interesting to to look into yeah so when we hear slave we immediately conjure up a context mm-hmm. right mid 1800s deep south like we we immediately identify the people that are functioning as slaves and the type of work that they were doing and the type of situation that they were in, like all of that is immediately imported. Um, so anytime you take that context and throw it back onto an ancient text, you're probably setting yourself up for a misreading. Mm -hmm. Although anecdotally, people would say that slavery in the old Testament was more dissimilar from American slavery than slavery in first-century Roman culture, so those those two situations would be more closely equivalent than American slavery versus Old Testament slavery.
0: Hmm, okay,
1: that's that's anecdotal. I can't I can't speak to that to any degree of of um, certainty, but that seems to be what they're saying. So in this, like in an oppressive Roman sort of situation they might look similar. Either way it's it's forced um it's forced work and mistreatment. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not good. Right. There's no way to wordsmith it so that it's tolerable mm-hmm. or a choice. It's it's something different. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. Gosh, that's a tough call. Okay. So i'm curious we we had talked about this earlier when people follow Jesus and they hear things like this does it then become something that we have to seek out i have Not to live as a servant or a slave like what does that what does that look like
0: i mean I think like we said before it can be stuff that's Like just seeing the opportunities that are already placed in your life and taking them instead of passing them over.
1: Yeah. And I I guess maybe, so maybe the question then is when we're reading something like this, um, do we identify with James and John who are wanting prestige and um, external affirmation? Or are we identifying with this? person that jesus keeps describing whoever wants to be great will be servant whoever wants to be first will be slave Uh, in chapter 9 he says whoever wants to be first must be least of all and servant of all in chapter 10 he says but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first and and here he says um you see how these power structures work in the world that's not the way it will be with you Following me means a countercultural commitment. Following me means not being first, but being last. Following me means not being great, but being slave. Oh, okay. I was misreading this. So, like, that's not the way it will be with you. Is talking about we don't operate according to the world's rankings. Right. It's completely opposite. Mm-hmm. Here's 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 the question then. Do you think the church is functioning as a counter cultural ambassador? The church as a whole, yeah. Uh, and here I I'm think... not. No, I don't want us to reduce ourselves to. Hey, let's take five minutes and slam the American church real quick. No, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways we're not doing that. We're not acting counterculturally.
1: Do you think part of that is because there's no call to acting counterculturally? What do you mean? I mean,
0: by the by the church?
1: Yeah. So I, I think the church I, isn't asking the, the, people to act. The stuff that the church seems to be the, let's let's focus this. The stuff that the majority of American churches seem to be focused on are maybe not necessarily antithetical to the gospel, but they don't always strike me as really related. It's like we're fighting battles like, that are not really that important.
0: Like what?
1: Oh, I knew you were going to say that.
0: <laughs> well, you let you okay, me okay, there. Okay,
1: okay, okay. So, I mean... One one of the things I said on Sunday was, we're oppressed. We are being attacked for being mm. Christians because Starbucks has not oh, released the red right. coffee cup. Because Target will not say Merry Christmas and instead say Happy Holidays. It won't be long, friend, until we are imprisoned for our belief system. That, that that's sort of like... Extravagant it's a leaps. huge
0: jump, and it's just like, shut up. <laughs> this is, yeah, isn't, that, that's what I mean. So, like, but, shut that down. This bet, isn't
1: important. But I bet when those people hear, but that's not the way it will be with you, they think, damn right, they will say Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, you know, yeah, and for other people, it means get off your high horse, it means that will that's not the way it will be with me. I will affirm and include LGBTQ Christians, like so. Mm-hmm. It's just like, woo! We've gone in two it's radically different directions. Totally different. One is attempting to address, you know, systems of oppression, and one is pretending that a system of oppression exists when it really doesn't. hmm So, like that whole thing, like that's not the what way a it privilege will be with you. For
0: you to be able to complain about. people not saying merry christmas to you like if that's the the biggest concern that you have during that season
1: yes it's It's, a it's odd
0: you're in a a privileged position
1: yeah i i it's it's frustrating and i don't want to you know posture ourselves as like we have it figured out just followed Tessa and I. Everybody, I we, would never say we, that. We we know <laughs> we know what the way is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. but it's just it's striking to me how radically different. Like this, this that's not the way it will be with you. How the church has taken that in very different ways, mm-hmm. and both are very convinced that they're living in this countercultural jesus-centered pick up your cross sort of way
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i don't know always what to do with that the extremity of those different positions because the conversation between those two people that are walking in polar opposite directions aren't often fruitful no we see this on facebook played out on a pretty daily basis although i've kind of not been on there a whole lot because of this very sort of thing happening
0: or i think often the goal in those conversations is to move someone from a 10 to a one in one conversation yeah which is not how things work
1: or honestly what about just moving anyone at all right that's not our job no right our job should be to be to be faithful to where we believe the spirit is leading us to not be a huge jerk face in our conversations to not pretend that we have all the right answers to entrust our ourselves to a merciful and loving God and to let the chips fall where they may mm-hmm. unless our conversation partners are moving the needle towards people's self-harm, potential suicide, um, you know, abandonment of their forced abandonment from their communal circles. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's some things that you can't just be like, oh, well, we disagree. Right. got it's you affecting people,
0: people, sometimes you gotta step in. And that's Which where- I think is part of the whole not going overseas and being a white savior in Africa. It's being in your community where you are and looking out for the people who need your help.
1: Yeah. And and when you do that, I think we're enacting that's not the way it will be for you because it's mm-hmm. a countercultural move to care about the other. It's a countercultural move to place the needs of the underprivileged above the needs of the powerful and rich. It's a countercultural move to have eyes to see the folks on the margins. I am hopeful though that we don't wear that call as a as a huge cloak of guilt. Mm-hmm. As if we're just living saying like oh man I didn't I didn't help, I didn't do, I didn't love today and I'm just a terrible human. I don't like that. You know, I, I think that you know, when you follow Jesus there's this there's this movement, there's this transformation and it takes time, over time. For us to become aware of the countercultural implications of what it looks like to follow Jesus in a 21st century American uh, context that is plagued with individualism and um, privilege, I guess you could say, and for us to live out a self sacrificial life in the midst of that. isn't always easy and it isn't always clear as to how that might take place right oh i think we got it all figured out (laughs) great and then the the last that that last verse there 45 the human one didn't come to be served but rather did i do that wrong again for uh for the human one didn't come to be served but rather to serve and Mm -hmm. to give his life to liberate many people that that thing it, it this is jesus saying You want the example of what it looks like. And I'm not reducing Jesus' death to a a moral example here. But this is him saying, this is what it looks like to live a countercultural life. That's not the way it will be with you. You won't come to be served, but to serve. And I'm going to show you that by giving up my very life to liberate people. And the way they've translated it here is like the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. That this this liberation of people. It's not just a um a release from the chains of sin. Jesus is often there's a lot more tangible stuff to it there. And that's difficult for us to to wrap our brains around because of, you know, a lot of stuff we talked about last week and our ties to to wealth and and privilege and status. But Jesus's motivation towards liberation has a has a certain, seemingly a certain referent uh, in in mind, which is also a problem of this passage. What does it mean, many people? I thought it was all people, you mm-hmm. know. So there's some difficulties here with this passage that that we'll come back to, but um, not today. So there you go, episode two. We did it in the tank. That's right. Yep. Well. Let us know uh, what you're thinking if you made it this far. Otherwise, be blessed. Peace, love, and equality.
0: Think differently. (laughs) (laughs) Love radically. Act justly.
1: Boom. See you next week.